We have much to do this morning, um, but I'm going to get the first thing out of the way. You know what? I didn't check. This all got easier this week, but let me, I kid you not, fifth or sixth microphone I have bought in six months trying to make it easy to put this on YouTube. It's the best one I found so far. If you're in the market for some earbuds, the new Apple AirPods Pro, they're really expensive, but whoa. Whoa, these are sweet earphones. And I have no idea though. So if you're watching right now and the sound's terrible or you go home and you watch, let me know because I, I don't care. I want it to be good sound. I want it to be easy up here. That's the first thing. So we're trying it. Um, we talked about this in Bible study. We had last year, not last year, last week at this church, we had, we did the math, right? It was 73 or maybe it was 68 hours of listening to this sermons, the sermons. So last week's sermon, you together spent man hours, 73 hours listening or so. We did the math. The same sermon on YouTube, 84 hours of listening. We had more people, not in this building, listen to last week's sermon, late service, than this whole building. What does that mean? It means the gospel is going out from St. Paul Lutheran Church. What a joy. What a joy to be a place that you are going to learn about how Lent is not a time to beat your breast and make a big face and complain about a bunch of fasting that you don't want to do anyway. Lent is a time to walk beside Jesus to the cross in joy. Now again, remember, we've talked about this. Comfort is what joy means. Walk beside Jesus in joy, past the thorns and the shadows and the terrors to where he absorbs it himself on the cross. That's Lent. It is all that we believe as Christians, but now we're going to refocus on it for six weeks, solid weeks, 40 days. Yeah? In this then, today is just the first of the church giving us what we need to know about the cross in six steps, more or less. And always, 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 no matter which lectionary you, you use, unless you're dealing with someone who literally is making it up every week and doesn't care about the history, you are always going to see on Lent 1, Jesus going toe-to-toe, -to -toe, deathmatch, octagon, with the devil himself. Now, if you don't know the references, that's fine. It doesn't matter. You get it. Eye-to-eye, Mano e mano, God and archangel. God is man and archangel. A fight. A fight for the ages, really. Why? To what end? This is where our Old Testament series, we're going to divert to this here at the start. There's a lot there in Joshua. To what end? Why Joshua? Why now? Where have we been? We have walked from the fall out of the garden into the family of Abraham where a sign called cutting the foreskin marks a promise from of old to save mankind from the old ancient dragon who is in fact our king right now, man-wise. Can't find him, but he's running it all and he doesn't sleep. 
in Abraham's family, we see this promise to be saved from that go to him and to Isaac and to Jacob. And then from there, in Joseph, down to Egypt, they come out, exodus out of slavery. And this is a major picture of all that we believe. We'll leave that behind, though. We keep moving past Sinai, where God comes as food and water. And then into the wilderness for our disbelief, for not wanting the promises. Now we find ourselves after that 40 years with Moses about to die or dying and one of the few people to live through that 40 years, Joshua, who had seen the land before and wanted to go, but nobody else would. He lives through it and now God tells Moses to make Joshua the one who will lead after he is gone. Joshua then takes this 600,000 plus military of people and they prepare to go across a pretty significant river called the Jordan. It overflows its banks every spring. You don't build a house here. It's a real river. You got to get 600,000 troops across it, give or take. What do you do? You ready to think about that kind of thing? Not easy. Well, what happens? They take the box that has God inside it, the fire God, the cloud God, he's inside the box. They take that box, they take these long poles that God told them to make and only touch the box with the poles because if you touch the box, it's going to kill you. So don't touch the box. Take the poles, put them in the box. Four guys, all priests, all sons of Levi related to Aaron, all lift up that box by the poles and they walk toward that river. And the moment a foot, a toe hits the water, it spreads and splits right in half and piles up in a stack. I mean, the only place I've ever seen this is Minecraft. It's piled up in a stack, water. And then it flows away down there and 600,000 walk through on dry ground. That's not even the important part of the story. Kind of almost worth the price of admission right there. They walk across the Jordan River. Now, now, flash forward. When Jesus gets driven to the wilderness, you just heard it read about, but you didn't hear what was before it. Hi, you. Uh, when, when Jesus gets driven into the wilderness, what had he just done? Where was he just at? It's Matthew 4. What's in Matthew 3? Don't you wish you knew? How far is he? Did you find your Cheerios? Yeah. You're all good. Like I said in Bible study, we need more of this. This fearlessness is what I want for young Christians. Don't be afraid. Jeez. It's good. It's really good. Right before Jesus goes into the wilderness to face the devil, he is in the Jordan River and the sky splits in half. He's baptized. So we're kind of out of order historically for Jesus' story because Lent throws us back to the temptation of Jesus every time. We've been moving with him from the Jordan River way back when. But for Joshua now, think about what Jesus doing in that river hearkens to. And don't forget, I harped on it in Bible study. I said it in first service. I'll say it again now. Jesus and Joshua are the same name. The only reason you don't know that is because you're American. Okay? In America, names don't do what they do in other languages because we speak, we speak English from those Anglos across the sea with their tea and stuff. Anyhow, because of the way language normally works with names, names change in cultures based on their use, and then when they get translated, they change as well, but it's the same name. So maybe you remember I was in Spanish class, and they told me my Spanish name, and it was Jose, and I was really disappointed because I knew in other languages you could have my real name, and it would have, like in Hebrew, is Yonatol, 
you know, it's not great, but it's better than not being Jose and being called Jose. Hi, Jose. He's over there, actually. Um, uh, names in other ancient languages change and move and morph with their position in the sentence. And then when they jump languages, it happens again. So that's the theory. Here's what happened. There's a guy named Yeshua, leads people across water into the land. His name is the sounds. The Lord God saves you. So no one called him Joshua with those sounds. They called him in their language, the Lord God saves. The Lord God saves led them across water into this place. We're going to talk about that, that a little bit more. But after doing this then, his name becomes a common name in Israel. Yeshua, the Lord God saves. And it becomes used again and again and again. Now it's never in the lineage of David. But an angel shows up and says, call him Jesus. Well, see, that's the Greek version of Yeshua. How does the Greek version get to Jesus from Yeshua? Well, see, Jesus is still the English. The Greek is Jesus. No J sound, a bunch of other stuff. Sounds like Spanish, actually. Um, somehow between German and English, we got from Jesus to Jesus. I don't know that one. All I want you to do is remember it's the same name. And it means the Lord saves. So the Lord saves leads people behind God in a box across the water into the land that was wilderness. But it's going to be the promised land now because God's going with them to take over the entire thing. And he does. And then you have Jesus in the water with God as God going where? Not into the promised land, but into the wilderness, which is what the promised land was, in order to do battle with the enemies of God and overturn that entire wilderness to make it into a promised land. Really, the new heavens and the new earth. Already there in his flesh and blood, raised from the dead on that third day. Do you see the type? The overlapping shadow as part of this thing. Joshua and his battle that's about to happen is akin to Jesus and his battle. Joshua's a real battle in history. Leaves archaeology behind. Jericho is still being excavated to this day. The layers upon layers of city beneath this thing is incredible for an ancient city. It was a power of the ancient world. There was a real battle. We'll talk about it. But all of that was just a reflection of the real battle going on outside across the Jordan with Jesus and some what? Now, here's the thing. What is he? First Sunday of Lent is always about the devil. It's always about Jesus beating the devil, but think about it. It's always about the devil. Do we believe in the devil? Like this, when you go camping, are you worried about the devil in the trees? I doubt it. Shouldn't be either. But sort of what happened here, I don't think it's just the devil in the trees, but for the Hebrew mind, you should know this, the wilderness where jackals are, they'll use that kind of phrase, where the, uh, where the, uh, the carry-on birds feed upon the dead, uh, the wilderness, the haunt of demons. In the Hebrew mind, although they do have the word of God, they conceive of things like outside the camp, outside the land, outside civilization as being where demons and devils are. They're wrong. They also think they're underwater. They're wrong. But we should see that symbolism at work in this reality for us here and now. Jesus goes to where the devils and demons are according to superstition. And what's there? The archangel who fell and is kind of his king. Kind of our king. Absolutely our king. Am I even on? Absolutely our king. 
kind of Jesus king. That's the trick. Jesus is a man born of Adam. Adam is subservient to the devil. He did it when he ate the fruit. We got a Lord. He's a great ancient demon dragon thing that you never see who runs everything by lies. That's your religion. Jesus goes, and he's so real and true and good, the devil comes to him to pick a fight. Because it's been the devil's plan the whole time to just stay in charge. He knows he can't. The prophecies say he won't. He knows those. He knows the prophecies also say he'll be unable to stop himself from ruining himself. But he does it all anyway. Well, because God is God and because the devil is who he is. A fallen archangel who as much as he would like to be reasonable is not. He's not reasonable. God's reasonable. The devil is raging. He's raging. And he comes running and tramping into the wilderness to come to Jesus. And then how does he appear? I've seen so many different movies. He shows up as a lion. He shows up as a, a slick salesman and businessman. Um, uh, Scorsese had the lion, I think, in his. There's so many good movies, right? And they all have these different ways and takes on the temptation. But what they never do is emphasize just how much God Jesus was at this point. Jesus is always kind of on the back foot a little bit, not so sure. Scorsese, he doesn't even think he's God in that one. Last Temptation of Christ, if you've never seen it. Massively influential movie. In any case, how should we picture this devil? What is he? Where'd he come from? I mean, what do you know? You know he's an angel. Does he have a name? Anybody? I'm going to make you talk today in the sermon. That's Lucifer. Often thought of as his name, although no more his name than Satan. Both of them are titles. Satan. The accuser, just a word, means the accuser. It's not Voldemort, <laughs> you know. Uh, Lucifer, Lucifer just means light bringer. So honestly, the acolyte is a Lucifer. It's kind of funny. The acolyte brings the light when they light the candles, right? The Lucifer. So those aren't his names. Those are his titles. Think like the kings of old who would have titles of their glory. Why is he light bringer? Well, let there be light. He's an angel, something in there maybe. Why is he the accuser? Because after the fall, he is the one who demands justice for us. He's like, I'll take it as long as they go with me. He wants to pull us all down. So he's the accuser, Satan for that. Devil or diabolos, this would mean just like demon, like spiritual bad thing out there somewhere. So he is the, not a devil. He's not blue, you Duke fans. He's not red either. There's no horns. There's no spiky tail. Unless the dragon image floats your boat. He's called in Revelation, the, the great red dragon. We sang about it. About it. No, we didn't. We will sing about it in the opening slash closing hymn. The dragon being cast down. All of this is for me to really ask you to think about it. Do you believe in the devil? I mean, if I tell you right now, I'm going to try this again. Hi there, I'm Jonathan Fisk. I'm your pastor. I believe there is a bodiless dragon made of light who, like the Sphinx of old, is good with words and is in charge of this whole planet because he stole it from Adam. That's my religion. Try that with your neighbor. See how it goes. Jesus teaches me this. Jesus knows this. Jesus is born as a baby in Bethlehem, fully aware of all the danger that this entails for us, there's none to him, but does he have to be here? No. But he does. And then he endures it. Can you imagine? You like ice cream, right? Everybody? 
So what if you knew what ice cream was supposed to taste like from heaven? Can you imagine how much disappointment you would have every time you had to have ice cream? That's Jesus' whole life with everything. He does it anyway. He serves. He loves. He gives. He then puts himself before the world and God says, I repent. Why are you repenting? John the Baptist says to him. You don't need to repent. I repent. He gets washed. Heaven opens up. That, that's my son, the one Moses told you to wait for. Then he goes out and he faces this devil, this dragon, whatever you want to think of, face to face in this duel of truth. And the language I would use is language I cannot use. But in American, we'd speak crassly about what happened to the devil. Because it did. He didn't just lose. He didn't just lose. He got rocked. Jesus rocks him. At every Lent, we start with that story. The dragon comes at the king as hard as he can. The king, with a sword of words from his mouth, three strikes, and the dragon runs away. That's Lent. You think Lent's sad. Lent is amazing. It's down. It's quiet. It's real. But it's phenomenal stuff. Did you hear us singing in the introit about the devil falling? I had a qualm about this. We're singing to the devil. Should you do that? We do it in God's own child, verse 3. Anyhow, how you have fallen from heaven, you bright morning star, son of the dawn. We're scoffing at him. We're scoffing at the devil. How you fell. You're cut down, you who once laid nations low, right? The tyrant of this age, he's the reason your taxes are things you don't want to pay. He's the reason there's cracks in the concrete. He's the reason your friendships aren't as good as they should be and you can't stay in touch. Everything that's wrong, you who laid the nations low, you've been cut down now. You said you're going to be like God, ascend to the heaven, up to the throne of God, like the Most High, but you will be sent to Abaddon, great old word, the pit, the abyss, the depths. And those who pass by will ask, is that? Is that the one who made us tremble? Is he the one who turned our world into a thorn bush? Look how he has fallen from heaven, O bright morning star. We scoff at the devil. Why? Because he can't touch us. Because as much as the king in the story is marching to the cross, the cross happened. It's done. It's finished. The question is, really, where is your allegiance? That's the question. There is no question that the king who is God, who is a man, has defeated the ancient dragon who was running the planet. There's no question that we live in a really interesting, weird age where people are making self-driving cars and trying to go to Mars for fun. Weird. That all is true in one paragraph. What a crazy place. Where does your allegiance lie? Does it lie with going to Mars? I'd like to go to Mars, but not really. But it's a cool idea. But my allegiance is not there. This is the question we must increasingly ask ourselves. I'm speaking to you just as people in the pew not as my congregants and, and not as an organization. I'm talking about what we see going on in our culture right now. It is paganizing. You think it's just about sex and marriage? It's not. It's about the undoing of all forms of truth and reliability, slowly. And some will try to have some of it in power that they use for themselves. Who's the most influential people in the world today? It's not Trump. It's not Putin. It's the guys that make the money at Amazon and Google. 
whatever. That's going to keep happening. The world's going to keep changing. Will American systems keep being the dominant? Will our money still be good in 100 years? Are we going to use the dollar? Or are they going to go to the China coin now? Or Bitcoin? For There's so many things to be afraid of. Into this moment, the king who reigns all things has sent you. Under, in, with, and behind Joshua. This one. Now, Colossians. Not Colossians. 2 Corinthians. Look at this one with me if you haven't so far. Where'd you go, 2 Corinthians? Oh, no. I had it. I will go to the bulletin with you. Here we go. What does he say to you then? We walk in the flesh, verse 3. We're just like everybody else. You got no superpowers. You walk in the flesh. But we are not waging war according to the flesh. How is this battle to be fought? According to human principles and reasoning and thinking and logic? No. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. I love it. What's Jericho? A stronghold of strongholds. That was a heck of a city. Cities in the ancient day, they were not easy to come by. The wall was what you needed to keep people from killing you and raping your wife. And so you lived in cities with big walls. And the kings of those cities, they told you how it was. You said, thank you, here's your taxes, keep me safe. That was life. It was good. It was fine. Nothing wrong with that. But Jericho is a stronghold of the Canaanites. That means they are worshiping gods that demand human sacrifice, and God wants that to stop. So they go in, and they destroy that stronghold. They're supposed to never rebuild it. And they conquer the land as God promises, mostly long story. The point being, what's the real stronghold? Was it Jericho? No, it was the minds inside of Jericho that were captured by arguments and reason that are lies. People use words to deceive. That's the stronghold. We have divine power to destroy the lies. He says it in the next verse, verse 5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against theology the knowledge of God. We destroy arguments. So what is the word God would have you know from Joshua and Jesus? Lots of them. But first and foremost, what's the word that destroys all the arguments? It's pretty easy. He is risen just as he said. That alone cuts through everything. From it, there's so much more. But I'm even going to make you say it with me this morning. You don't have to confess the gospel this way. But the next time you're up against a wall, the next time you're afraid, and if you can't remember your baptism, it's a good way to say it. He is risen, just as he said. Come on, I know you're Lutherans. I get it. He is risen, just as he said. You don't have to say it out loud to have it in your head to be yours for attacking the argument, which generally is going to be not, Jesus isn't risen from the dead, you silly Christian. The arguments the devil brings against you are, you're not good enough. It's mostly it. It takes different flavors. You didn't do enough. You didn't feel enough. You didn't love enough. You let the time get away. It's always that. You did not have a just life enough the way you would have justified it. That's the stronghold he has risen, just as he said, none of it matters. He matters. He's calling you. He's the king. You're in his people now, his city now, his, for goodness sakes, body now. 
So learning to think about the arguments is a good idea. If anyone is confident, oh, I skipped a little. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against knowledge of God theology and take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's hard. But I'll tell you what, it's harder if you don't try. If you don't make a decision to do something with your religion for your religion, you're not going to because your religion the devil hates. All the other ones, he doesn't mind about. He hates this one. This is why every year we take that stewardship day and we commit to trying one more thing, one more thing. Do something with the word of God. The point is not any of those things. If you can't read the Bible in the year, I don't care. That's hard. Why'd you even try? But the word of God in your life every day, also hard, really a reliable resource once you find a way to make yourself do it. Fight the good fight. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so are we. Paul is in an argument against those who are saying he's not an apostle. So he has to defend himself a bit there. And he starts to talk about boasting. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The opposite of almost every single part of our civilization. The exception, strangely, being football, where somewhere between goal and kneeling, you have both a hatred of the flag and praying to God at the same time. We are weird people. That's something else. But by and large, nowhere do we give glory to God for what he is and who he is and what he's done in our lives. Do you remember, there was an old, you probably don't, there was an old cartoon called The Simpsons still around. There was a prayer Bart prayed at dinner once. It went like this. We did the work. We bought the food. We cooked it up. Thanks for nothing, God. It's one way of looking at it, honestly. It's fair unless there's a real God who gave it all to you. And this is the point. You are his. You're not your own. You're not a slave like American slavery. You are a servant in the kingdom of the king of men. Greatest there ever was. And he chased away the dragon, whether you believe him or not. Beat death, whether you believe him or not. Long live the king, he gonna. And he reigns from Zion, his own body right now for you to tie you to his coming kingdom, but not you alone. He wants you, like Joshua and the people, to go into the pagan world and not leave a single captive. Not by blood, right? Don't think I'm talking violence. I'm talking he has risen just as he said. And I believe firmly, St. Paul, you don't just know this, you believe this, and you want to know it more, and you are prepped for this moment. You're ready for civilization to collapse because you have something better than civilization. You have God so come what may, come what may, the devil's going to run. Where's your allegiance? And, well, come, pledge allegiance. It's better than the flag. Take and eat, take and drink. I'm with you. We're going into Canaan together. The Lord saves. Oh, there's so much more in the name of Jesus. Amen. We have... A new transition where the sermon will end swiftly like that.